was hoping that the schedule change when he said February 12th wasn't about the Super Bowl, so. <laughs> Thanks be to God, it's for uh, more education. I want to first express my gratitude. However the rest of this day goes, being with you this morning and watching the sincere worship with which all of you gave to our God has blessed me tremendously. When Paul went to the Oropagus, he says, I see you're really religious, but he was being ironic because they were worshiping an unknown God. You know our God shown to us through Jesus Christ, and I was watching you all pour out yourself, your own bodies as a living sacrifice to our God. I, thank you, everybody. It is a privilege to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, let's open up in a time of prayer. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Lord, your plans are perfect. From the very beginning, you saw how things would play out, and you saw nothing wasted. That you made a world and saw that it was good. And despite our rebellion, and resistance and disobedience. You did not leave us stranded on our own, but because of your love and for your own glory, you rescued and redeemed us through the person of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for all that you have done and for who you are as the God-man who unites heaven and earth, who brings to us and shows us the Father, and who brings us to the Father because, Jesus, you are the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. And because of what you have accomplished in your life, death, and resurrection, and though you have ascended into the right hand of the Father, still you intercede for us, and you promise to be with us until the end of the age you have given us your spirit. Holy Spirit, by you we are united to Christ and we have the power and presence of God with us this morning that we are not orphaned or stranded alone but adopted as children of the Most High. And so we thank you because we know as we give you praise that we are unworthy, that we were dead in our sins and in our trespasses. Yet while we were sinners, while we were enemies, Christ Jesus, you died for us. Thank you that there need be no more guilt nor shame. So we thank you that you receive us in spite of us because of the merits of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters whom I'm meeting this morning. It's quite likely that there are people this morning who are suffering and struggling. Lord, would you be with them? By your holy word this morning, would you heal them through your word and through your spirit? Lord, there are some who are probably feeling joy but don't know how to share and express. Lord, I pray that there would be a community here in which we can rejoice with one another and mourn with one another. Lord, I also pray for Grace Bible. As this past year has gone with some ups and downs, and I pray for the continued search for a shepherd here 
Lord, you love this church more than anyone else. And your hand of providence has been witnessed this past year. And so I pray that the folks here would be even more confident that you are with them and that you will lead the right person here. Lord, whoever that is, would you be preparing them right now? Would you give them a spirit of humility, a spirit of openness and love, that it is not they who will do anything but you working through them? And I pray for the people here that they are not just twiddling their thumbs, waiting but that they would be active and eager to serve you and to serve one another because all of us have been made as a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Thank you that we can come before you because of what you have done. The veil has been torn and we now enter. Teach us now. May I decrease, Lord Jesus, in this message, would you increase. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to describe a church for you. And you tell me if you would attend this church. <laughs> so this church was in a, this is a real church, by the way. It was in a very well-known city. It was very popular. People have heard of it. And they used to have some of the most famous missionaries and preachers coming through. All the missionaries and preachers you wanted to meet, they were coming through. They were also a bastion of high, sophisticated theology. Not this watered-down stuff you normally get. Real, intellectual wrestling with God's word. They also had a reputation for spiritual gifts. There was verifiable miracles and giftings by which people were being bolstered. Yet this church had a lot of infighting. There are a lot of people who fought they would sue each other. And there was a lot of sexual sin in the church, a lot of fornication, and a lot of incest. Would you attend this church? If you were at this church, would you stay? If you've been listening carefully, you might recognize this church. It is the church of Corinth during the time of Paul. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he acknowledges the great things about them. Look at your spiritual gifts, some of the best. You've had Apollos come through. You've had Cephas come through. You've had me come through. But you're fighting with one another, and you're engaged in horrifying, sexually deviant sins. Notice what Paul doesn't say. Because I think our first inclination would be, oh, that was my church. I'm out of here. Notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul does not tell the good Christians to leave. Isn't that striking? I mean, think about how yucky those sins were. And yet Paul doesn't say, get up and leave. What he does in the letters to the Corinthians is charge them to live out the calling in which they were called in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I think when we think of churches... We might have an idealized, romanticized notion of the right church. I've got my checklist, and I want to make sure that all the boxes get ticked off, and if they don't, I'm out of here. But I think this is a mistaken view of the church, and I think Paul recognizes this because churches involve people. Yes, you and me, and I know me, 
And I know the sins that go through my head and through my heart and come out when my five-year-old starts throwing a tantrum. I know the sins within. And I would imagine that you have similar sins within you. There is no perfect church. And yet God has called us, you and me, to form a community. And that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to look at some distinctives about what makes us, us. What makes a Christian community distinctively Christian? And I want to look at this yucky church in Corinth and see what Paul has to tell them to find out what we can learn in the 21st century. And though we may not hopefully be wrestling with sexually deviant sins like incest, I bet we do have our own struggles. There's no perfect church, but we can learn how to live in accordance with the call in which Christ has called us. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's always dangerous as a guest speaker to come to a new church and use the word incest. But uh, there you have it. All right. It's in the Bible. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. At least I'm not preaching from the Song of Solomon. Okay. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to be reading from verses 12 through 27. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, Slaves were free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually 
members of it. It's the word of the Lord. There's a lot going on in what Paul has to say to the church of Corinth. But there's one thing I want us to focus on this morning, and it's this, that it's God who has gathered us as members of Christ's body to become more like Christ. God has gathered people into the membership of Christ's body for the purpose of becoming more like Christ. So as we look at this passage, there are three questions I want to see this passage answering. The first is, what makes us Christian community? What makes us unique? The second thing I want this passage to to be answering is this question. What do we do about conflict? What do we do about conflict? And third, what does this community do to us? What happens to us in this community? So let's start with the first question. What makes us unique? There's got to be something different about us, those who follow Jesus. A lot of religions, a lot of people worship something. But there's something unique about Christian worship. Similarly, there are a lot of communities. There's got to be something distinctive, unique, special about Christian community. And what is that? So go back and look at verses 12 to 13. Let me read that again. And here's what Paul says. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Look at the image here. You have a single functioning organism, but many distinctive parts. Already, Paul wants the church in Corinth to recognize the diversity Not homogeneity, not uniformity, not everybody fall in line as though we were all from a factory. God made us, and he loves colors. He loves differences. He loves separating. Look at the creation story. Water from land. Birds, fish, land animals, the variety of everything that God has made. And then he says, go be fruitful and multiply. Make lots, lots and lots of differences. God loves spreading out. Do you know what makes things become uniform? Sin. I know, especially the younger that you are, sin seems exciting, and it seems like it's so different. All of the things that you can do. No, sin is so boring. No new sin has been invented since the fall. It's just the same mistakes. And people who succumb to the sin, do you notice how alike they are? Whenever in my 20s, I would go to Vegas, not for anything debauch or anything like that, just I lived in L.A. It was only four hours away. Do you ever notice people who are at the slot machines who are gambling Now, when they're college age, what do they look like? They look like they're having a lot of fun, right? When they're in their 40s, my age, 50s, 60s, 70s, have you noticed what they look like? They all look the same. Did you ever notice that? They all look exactly the same because sin 
curves you inside of yourself and makes you dull and boring instead of living in the vivacious, vibrant world of creativity with which God has made us. Look around here. Look at the diversity already here. Look how different you are. We've got artistic people. We've got people good with their hands. Look, God calls us as different and despite our differences, brings us together to form one body. And now look what he says in verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink in one spirit. That would have been shocking to the people in Corinth. Jews and Greeks? Do you remember in the letter to Romans, who's fighting? The Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. Well, we're better than you. Already, Paul says, no. These divisions, God brings together. Or listen to the language of slave or free, property owner and those who are propertied. Paul already is breaking social categories and saying, in Christ, through his spirit, we're brought as one body. I mean, it would be as jarring to say, well, Republicans or Democrats, in one spirit, God has brought us together. Why are you here? When, when we're kids, it's really weird things that make us become friends. My earliest best friend and I, we became friends because I found out he liked cherry Coke. And that's how easy it is as friends. You like cherry Coke? I like cherry Coke. Best friends. <laughs> what, what forms a church? You like Sovereign Grace music? I like Sovereign Grace music. You like City of Light? I like City of Light. Oh, you have Reformed theology? I have Reformed theology. It's easy for us to try to form community based upon our preferences and similarities, but that is not what forms genuine Christian community. Genuine Christian community is brought in by the Spirit. And it brings those who would normally be in tension with one another, people who would normally be enemies with one another, Jews and Gentile, free and slave, and brings them together as one in the body of Christ. That's what happens. That's what makes us unique. It's not because of our preferences or similarities. It's God who brings us together. Okay, ooh, I'm about to say something. That may seem provocative, but I don't want it to be. So before you throw your tomatoes, let me just, let me just finish and explain. Let me, let, let me explain after I say it. God is not enough for you. God is not enough for you. Okay, wait, before the rocks start coming out. Let me explain. It's not because there's something lacking or deficient in God. Does everyone get that? It's not because there's something that God can't give you. It's because that's how God designed you and me. When he made Adam, and Adam is alone, what does God say? It is not good for man to be alone. Do you think God was a bad designer? Do you think God made Adam and said, oh, man, I messed up. i got to start from scratch. And then he sends all the animals, and they realize the animals are no good companions? No, of course not. God knows this. What God is trying to show Adam is that Adam was built, designed to be in union with another human being. And God sends Adam all of these animals, and Adam realizes none of them is the community I'm looking for until Eve is made. 
See, God made us not just so that it would be a vertical me and God alone. It's not just quiet time alone. God built us to be in community with each other. So when I say God is not enough for you, it's not because of what God is missing. It's because that's how God made you and how God has made me. We were made for community. And after Christ and the church, God has made us to be in the church together. We have to be a part of community. Church is not an option, brothers and sisters. I am so encouraged as I was talking to Brother Michael this morning that I know you've had a rough time of it the last several months. And look, you're still here together, worshiping together. I am encouraged knowing that you recognize it's not about who's up here that draws you together. It's about Christ who draws you together because you need each other. You must have each other. God designed it so that we would be interdependent with one another. Now, who's going to belong then? I know, the really good musicians. I love the family affair, by the way. <laughs> that was pretty cool. I'm teaching my children how to play music, so you've given me a, a vision of what I hope for my own children. It's not just the talented people, the really good singers, the really extroverted shepherds, the best preachers. Look, <clears throat> look at verse 14, 15, and 16. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less part of a body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less part of the body. It's cultural categories that make us think, well, these are the really helpful people at church. And then there's the rest of you. <laughs> that is not how Paul sees it. Each one of you plays an indispensable role as, as we see. We're not brought together because the really talented folks are capable of running the ministry. Each one of you has been called by God if you are a follower of Jesus and as members of this particular local body. And let me just make a plug. I feel like I can do this because I'm not a leader here. If you're not a member of this body, go become a member ASAP. Already, I love this church. If I, if I were, lived in Hollister, I would be attending in this church and become a member. But you need to be a member of a local body. We have to be part together serving one another. And look what it says in verse 18. But as it is, God arrange the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God is the one who has doled out gifts and roles. And if you have those gifts, do not squander the opportunities that God might be presenting. Nobody in here should say, well, I just don't have anything to bring to the table. That, that is a lie. That may be a lie that the devil is telling you. No, you've got something to contribute because it's not about how awesome you are. It's the fact that God has arranged it for you to contribute in the ways that he sees fit. 
After all, look at the stories. Who does God pick? God needs a mouthpiece to go up to the Pharaoh in Egypt and to declare his people free. And what does Moses say? I'm not a good speech giver. I'm not good at talking. We need someone to lead and rescue the people from the Philistines. Someone with an army. And who does God call? Cowardly Gideon. We need somebody to take down a giant. And instead of picking the eldest son of Jesse, God picks music boy shepherd, scrawny little boy. Why? We know early in 1 Corinthians, it's not because how cool Paul and Apollos are. One may plant seeds, the other might pour out water, but it is God who causes the growth. God uses weakness to show what he is capable of. He chooses to become man in an uninteresting city, in an uninteresting time, to become the savior of the whole world. So you can't just say, well, I've got nothing to give. God, if you are a follower of Jesus, has called you and has called you here this morning and has called you as a member or maybe calling you to become a member to do something even if you are weak or bad at it because it will be the spirit in you doing it. That's what makes us unique. If you work for some of the big tech companies, who goes to the top? The most talented. But in church community, what makes us different than other communities is that we all do it together. And everyone has a role to play. It's not just the person here. You believe, believe this morning that you are part of a holy nation and a royal priesthood. It's not just pastors and elders that are priests. You have been called to be a priest. A priest is someone who stands in the gap between God and man to declare what God has said to humans and to bring humans back to God. Each one of you, Followers of Jesus have been called to that. That is what makes Christian community unique. All right, let's go to the second question. What do we do about conflict? So let me give you some context about the church of Corinth. Yeah, they did some bad stuff with each other, so to speak. They also sued each other a lot, lots of lawsuits. And Paul's really upset, and they start fighting. Like, well, I'm of Apollos. I'm a Cephas, I'm of Paul, and of course the really holy ones, I'm of Jesus, right? I'm of MacArthur, I'm of Piper, I'm of Keller, I'm of Jesus, okay? So there's a lot of factions and infighting, and that can cause some conflict. And later, in the section I didn't read, Paul talks about the ways in which God has given different roles, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be teachers, some to be miracle workers, People who have different roles sometimes tend to conflict because it's easy to think that the thing I do is the most important thing in church that we do. So we got to beware of that. But here's some other places in which conflict can arise. So turn to verse 21. And Paul, being a master teacher, continues to use this great illustration of the body. So in verse 21... He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, 
nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. It's easy to think, well, if we go through our cultural context, pick the really talented ones, who do we need at church? We need the preacher, we need the musicians, we need the sound and audio team. We, essential is the coffee, by the way. So, And it was actually really good coffee uh, that I had this morning. Those are the essential. The rest of you, not really needed. So I have no need of you. Paul's aware of this. This is like say, the eye saying to the hand, I don't need you. And what does Paul want to say? This is false. We need each other. <sighs> Conflict arises because of us. Do you get that? Conflict doesn't arise because of that one person. Conflict arises because all of us. Because we're still broken, and God, thanks be to God, is healing us through his spirit, but we're not there yet. And here's a very simple theological truth that I think we all know, but we sometimes forget in times of conflict. The church is the body of Christ. And you're like, duh, duh. Here's a necessary implication of that. The church is not Christ. You hear that? The church is the body of Christ. The church is not Christ. Christ is perfect. Nobody in here is perfect. And if we make up the body of Christ, then we cannot expect the church to be perfect. I sometimes imagine what it was like for the apostles at the ascension, and Jesus is going up, and they're thinking... Great Lord, you left us with that guy, Peter, the guy who sliced someone's ear. You left us with Thomas, the doubter. Like, this is who I have to work with? And I imagine them just like twiddling this. I'm like, no, we need you. And yet Christ saw that it was fit for him to bodily leave them in order to give his spirit. See, the church of Christ is not Christ. It's us imperfect people. And that's what we have to remember because in your dealing with imperfect people, conflict is unavoidable. If you want to go to a church with no conflict, I can predict a couple things. Because I, I meet people like this all the time. People who, who want the perfect church and no tension, no conflict, everything will always go right. The people I know who want that either never stay at a church for more than a year or two or three never more than three years, or they only have superficial attendance. In, out, bam, no community. That's the people who want the perfect church. They will never really be part of a local church. That's not how it was designed. If you're going to be a part of a local church, be prepared for conflict. And we need to understand then that either conflict will be constructive or destructive. And here is the truth that I think Paul wants the church in Corinth to know. And I believe the Spirit is telling us right now. Conflict will not undo us. For those of us who are in Christ and members of his body, you have to believe that Christ ensures that conflict will not undo us. Because our togetherness was not based upon our vision of the ministry, our personality type, our agenda and plan. Our coming together was based on Christ, our head. And if you believe that the reason why you and I are tied together is because of Christ, then no matter how hard and ugly and divisive it may get, 
we will know that we can overcome it because of Christ. And I hope you firmly believe that. It's coming, folks. Maybe things, conflict is happening right now between some of you. Believe that Christ is greater than the conflict and it can be resolved. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. Look, in the, look at how many times Paul has to say things to Christians in the various letters. Look at what he has to say to Galatia. Yet Paul seems convinced that conflict will not sever their relationship. And if everything is going great right now, who knows? What happens if a new pastor comes and there's conflict? What, you leave? There are very few reasons to leave a church. Conflict is not one of them. If I I start spouting heresy, by all means, get up and walk out. I'll fully understand. But mere disagreement is not the reason to separate. Mere conflict is not the reason to separate. God wants them to be working together. So keep reading. Verse 22. On the contrary, for those who say some of you are not needed, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. In the Silicon Valley... There's a pragmatic approach. When there's a problem, you hire consultants, you locate the source of the problem, and you eliminate the bug. And if the bug is a person, you fire that person. That's how corporations work. I think sometimes it might be tempting for some churches to think of themselves as a corporation you know that one person at our church? Yeah, they're causing problems. Let's, let's get some consultants. Let's, let's have that person, let's remove that person. That person doesn't belong. That's not how Paul talks. Everybody, I mean, look at the people that he's dealing with. Look at the sins he just listed on these people, and yet he says, yet they are indispensable parts of the body. And those that are least honorable, God is giving them greater honor. Do we just give greater honor to those who are good at preaching, those who have a beautiful voice? Loved the the music this morning. Or how about those who sing off key? Should we get rid of them? Those who can't preach, those who can't share? No, everyone is indispensable, and God has shown that we live in a topsy-turvy world. Jesus says, and the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Who gets the greater honor? The ones who get to be on stage or the ones who faithfully work behind the scenes and God sees? In the Sermon on the Mount, what does God want? Jesus says, God doesn't want someone out praying in the open, letting everyone know, hey, I'm fasting. Oh, I'm so holy. But the person alone in their room, praying, not knowing their right hand, 
Their right hand does not know what their left hand is doing. That means they're just doing it naturally. Obedience has become second nature to them. All of us are needed. There isn't a problem person. See, that's what we have gone into corporate mode if we think, yeah, that person is the problem person. We need to get rid of that person. Look now at verse 26. Because this is what happens if we are one members, if we are members of one body. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Look at exactly what it says. It doesn't say if one member suffers, you should suffer with them. It's not a command. It's saying, yes, when someone suffers, I am suffering. When another member is honored, I'm rejoicing. It is my benefit when another person does well. We know this in a family context. When my kids do well, I don't get jealous. If I did, I'd be a terrible dad. If if they win an award, I would would be a horrible father if I said, oh, man, I wanted that award. No, my kids' triumphs are my triumphs. And when someone breaks their heart, my heart is broken. We know that in a family context, it is no different in the church. We are a spiritual family. We, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, and tied closer together than mere legal bonds or by human blood. It is by Christ and his spirit that we are brothers and sisters. In that family context, then, your successes are mine and your struggles are mine. This is how Paul wants them to see. You're not in competition with each other. It's not the Apollos group versus the Peter group versus the Paul group. It's all of us suffering together and mourning together. And on this side of life, we'll always experience both. Until we die or until the Lord Jesus returns, it will be an everyday battle of joy and weeping. Because everyone in our body will include those who suffer and those who have triumphs. And I hope that we can really revel in both. Do you know how often I hear people when I meet with them one-on-one who have really good news to share, but they're scared to share? Because when we say get real, if someone were to come by and look at you and say, get real, what do you think they mean? Do you think they want you to be happy or sad? In my experience, they probably want you to be sad. Get real, man. Nuclear war. Economic crisis. Government shutdown. Get real. As a Christian, get real means the Lord Jesus has been raised from the dead. So victory has been won. We sang about it this morning. Victory has been won. Get real, man. No matter what you face, the Lord Jesus is in charge. So everything's going to be okay. That's what get real means. It is sad to me that there are some people in the church who have experienced success and triumph but are scared because we like pessimism. Get real means using swear words and recognizing that there are gangs and drugs. There are gangs and drugs and swear words. But there's also marriage. There's also babies being born. There's also hospitals being built and churches being planted. See, we live in this weird mixture in this side of death of joy 
and mourning. And we need to foster both. We can't just be, yeah, everything's great. Everything's not great. I bet lots of you here know somebody who has some terminal illness or some debilitating illness. And I bet some of you know a lot of people who have a lot of things to celebrate. It's that weird tension in the church where we're constantly doing both. And when we recognize that we're not in competition, when you suffer, I suffer. When you are doing well, I'm doing well. We'll see that it's because of Christ that we get to have these things. And he sustains us in them all. If this is right, then Paul is eliminating the idea of a problem person. A problem person. It's our problem. If my third son is having a problem. I don't go, you're the problem person, you're out of the family. I'm down now to three kids instead of four. This is not how it works. No, when he suffers, we all suffer. And when he is included and does well, we all do well. You hear in the secular world the idea of inclusion, and it has become politicized and weaponized. But if you're a Christian, maximal inclusion is already part of the game. You're a leper, come on in. You're a sinner, come on in. Because when we see our own sins, we recognize, oh, we're all the problem person. There's only one person of this church that is not the problem person, and that's the head of the church, Jesus. If you can pinpoint who the problem person is at Grace Bible and you didn't include yourself in the list, there's something wrong, right? If you're going to list the problem people and you're not in it or not everybody's in it, then something has gone wrong. That is how we're going to deal with conflict. I hope that you would recognize that if conflict comes, Jesus is in charge and you don't have to worry. He will help us. This isn't a lazy approach. This isn't a, well, let's not do anything No, the elders in the church might have to make difficult decisions and there might have to be difficult conversations. But if you believe that we are doing this together and God can transform lives and we suffer together and mourn together, I think we'll be amazed at what can happen just as we've seen in the early church and just as we're seeing right now. All right, I wanna go to the last question then. What are we here for? What's happening to us in this community? Is it that we get to sing really cool songs and hear really encouraging messages? There's a lot of things. There's a long list of things that I think is happening to us in the church and in this setting. But there's one I want us to focus on in particular with regards to the letter to Corinth. And it's this. We are here to be formed. Formation is one of the central reasons why you are here. Why come to church? Why not just live stream? Why not just stay at home? Why not just have quiet time? Why not? There are way many better preachers than I am. Why didn't you just YouTube them? There's so many better preachers than I. Why didn't you just go stay at home, stay in your jammies, and listen? Because one of the things that's happening here is when we do it together, we're being formed by the Spirit. When we listen to scripture being read out loud together, we were being formed. When we sang worship together, we weren't just doing it by myself. If I had just stayed at home and listened to all those songs on YouTube, it would not have been the same experience as being here, witnessing all of you and worshiping together, not just because I felt good, but because the Holy Spirit was here doing something to me. 
See, formation is not about feelings. Things happen whether you feel it or not. Several years ago, my doctor said, you need to take vitamin D supplements every day. So I'm like, all right. So I did. First day, felt nothing. The next day, felt nothing. Six years into taking vitamin D supplements, I feel nothing. (laughs) But when I go get my blood work, the doctor says, you're much better now. Do you get the difference between doing well and feeling well? According to objective medical standards, taking the vitamin D supplements did something to my body, but I haven't noticed a single thing. The same thing. It's not about how you feel. It's not about how the music makes you feel. I don't like this worship leader because I don't like those songs. You should have picked the songs I like. Well, you can curate your own set list at home with a YouTube set. What happens here is that when we're gathered together, the Spirit does something to us. When we hear the word and the, uh, the, the gospel proclaimed and the gospel demonstrated in fellowship with one another, the Spirit is doing something to you. You are being formed into the likeness of Christ. And I want to pick something specific out of this section in the letter to the Corinthians about formation. So turn now, go back to the end of chapter 10, verse 31. Chapter 10, verse 31. I'm going to read to the first verse of chapter 11. And here's what Paul says. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. When we come to church, we're to be formed. You want to think, formed in what way? Formed to become like Christ. And I think the practices that we do in church help us. But there's also something intentional that we can do, which is to imitate Christ-like people. Imitation is one of those practices as old as the church that we sometimes forget. Let me explain. I'm a teacher by profession, and sometimes when an expert explains something, it's hard for a novice to understand. But if a fellow novice who's just a little bit more advanced, explains. When a fellow student explains to the confused student, they're like, that makes much more sense. Even though sometimes I feel like, I said the exact same thing. My oldest son is 12. When I'm explaining things to my 10-year-old, and he seems baffled, and then my 12-year-old explains it in what to me seem to be the exact same words, but apparently they're not, now he gets it. And I get mad. I'm like, hey, it was more. Similarly, if I say imitate Christ... I bet some of you might think, oh, that's a really high bar, imitating Christ. What does Paul say? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, preachers, we love Paul. And sometimes we talk about Paul as though Paul is sinless. But Paul called himself what? The chief of sinners. Paul was a sinner like the rest of us. The point is, sometimes someone who's not Christ, but is following that trajectory can help those who are further behind. 
This is why the imitation thing can be so helpful. Imitate Michael as Michael imitates Paul as Paul imitates Christ. It might be further down the line, but it can be helpful. This is what I think is happening and crucial in Christian community. Those who have walked faithfully with Christ will have seen the joys and the struggles in the church. If you've been in a church for 30 plus years, you've seen some bad stuff, right? That not having a lead pastor is actually not that bad when you've heard some stories from people who've been at church for 30 plus years or then or more, you know, 50 plus years. My parents have been at the same church for so long. They've seen pastors come and go. They've seen divisions. They've seen infighting. And yet they're there because they see the spirit at work. This language of imitation is all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Matthew 5, be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're supposed to, God is the ultimate exemplar, and Jesus is the ultimate model of how we should live our lives and imitate. But sometimes it's hard, so we need easier tutors, just as Paul was. One of the benefits then of a Christian community is that you have a broad range of age groups. We need the young and we need the old. And we need each other, and especially those who have seen hardships and struggles and infighting, we need them as models to imitate. If, if you're an older Christian, I'm not going to look at anybody lest anyone get offended. Like, why is he looking at me? Right? But I'm just going to look at the camera. Right? If you're an older Christian, your job is not done. I know it's easy to think, well, churches should be trendy, and we need younger pastors and younger people, and we need what's hip. I love singing hymns. I love singing Blessed Assurance. I've been singing that since I was a kid. We need older Christians to model for us what godliness and Christ-likeness is, despite whatever may come. Your job is not done. Until Christ calls you home or until Christ returns, you do not retire. You can retire from your earthly job, but your spiritual job you have until Christ calls you home. And we need you. Who else are we going to model our lives after? Elon Musk? Right? Our, our employers who only want money and pleasures? No, we need you to model for us how to live. No one thinks you're perfect, but we need you. And if you're younger, you need to have models. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul calls himself their spiritual father. We need spiritual mothers and fathers in our lives. That doesn't mean they're perfect, but it means they can be useful guides with whom we can consult and imitate. This idea of imitating, modeling our behavior and our patterns after their lives. My spiritual father is 84, and I need him. He's, He's twice my age but I need him. He's imperfect. If he were up here, he would tell you all of his sins right now. But we need each other modeling after each other. And even older Christians can model, uh, model uh, or imitate younger Christians because we're all imperfect and there's going to be different skills, different gifts that people have. Insofar as people are trying to be like Christ, 
we can try to imitate one another. And I think that's what Paul has in mind here. And that's what we need genuine Christian leadership to be. Christian leadership is not about speaking well. It's not bringing in more money, bringing in more people into the church. It's people who live like Christ by imitating him and serve as good exemplars and models for other Christians. What I pray for this church for the next shepherd to come, it'd be great if they were good at preaching so you're not bored. It'd be great if they were committed But what we need is somebody with whom you could see this person's trying to be like Christ and I want to imitate them. That's that's what I hope for you. So how do we live in light of this, of what Paul's been trying to say? Christian community will look different. We will look like what some have called a contrast society. A contrast society. That means we will form a community that will look markedly different than every other community that doesn't follow Christ. Whereas in other groups will be about what agendas and visions and plans they have, what things they like. Ours will be modeled and driven by our union in Christ. So that even though we may disagree, even if there's conflict, even if there's tension, that will not be reason for us to sever from one another the love of Christ and the love that we are to have for one another would keep us together. Conflicts will come. If you are a member of this church and if you stay here for the next several decades, conflicts will come. Believe that conflicts will not undo us because our union is through Jesus. And recognize that God has appointed you. If you are here this morning and you're a member this isn't entertainment. I feel like I can say this because I have no leadership here, so this is not me speaking. I can just speak this objectively from the truth of Scripture. This isn't entertainment, and you're not here to passively just receive things. You could just have stayed at home, watched this through a live stream, and watched better preachers and better musicians. No, you are here because God has called you to be here, to be a part of this spiritual family, and to serve. And I want to encourage you to find ways to serve. You might think, but I'm not good at that. Yeah, Moses wasn't good at speaking, and look at what God called him to do. Be open to what God wants you to do. And in weakness, God will be shown to be perfect. I would encourage you to talk to the elders. Talk to Darren. Talk to Michael. Ask, hey, I want to serve. I just don't know how. Find ways of serving together. Don't just be a passive customer. This isn't a service that the elders are doing for you and then you can go on Yelp and review it. No, this is your family to which you belong and to which you need to serve. And then find spiritual mothers and fathers. Those of you, if you're older, I would encourage you, be the role of a spiritual mother and father. And those of you who are younger, find spiritual mothers and fathers to help you, to pray for you, to model your life after. Don't wait until it's too late and you've gone down the wrong path. See the wisdom of God's hand in the work of people who have stayed faithful to Christ despite hardships. That's the beauty of the church, is that there have been people like that, and we get to do all of this together. It is a privilege to be together. Who here is worthy to belong? The answer is none of us. 
because we were all the problem people. We were all sinners and enemies of God. But we are here this morning worshiping together because the Lord your God has called you and has called me into fellowship with his son and has given us his spirit so that you and I can do more than we can imagine, not because you're awesome and smart and strong, but in spite of your weakness and foolishness and sin. The spirit of God is in you and is in me, and we can be a light in this city, in Hollister, in San Jose, everywhere we go, because the Lord, your God, is with you. Let's pray. Lord, what can we merit to earn your salvation? We know the answer is nothing. Our hearts were in rebellion against you. But still, you loved us. Father, you loved us, and by your grace and for your glory, you gave us your son. Jesus, eternal God, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We thank you that you loved us, and everything that you earned, you share with us. You have taken our sin and given us your reward. Thank you. Thank you for calling us into the fellowship of your body, united by your spirit. Convict us this morning to love one another as you have loved us, to love one another so that the world will know that we are your disciples, that despite whatever hardships, struggles, trials, conflict may come, we are united because of you. Help us now. May we today and the rest of this week, in all that we do, give you glory. Imitating you, Jesus, imitating those spiritual mentors you have given us. And we do this by your power and presence in our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me close with a word of benediction from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the word of the Lord. As you go, go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks for having me, everybody.